Our scripture reading for this morning comes to us from the book of Acts, and we will read portions out of Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2 as we consider the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. So from Acts chapter 1, we'll read the first 14 verses, and then we'll turn to chapter 2. Acts chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented him alive, himself alive after his suffering, by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who said also to them, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven." Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Turning now to Acts chapter 2, we'll read the first four verses and then skip over to verse 32. Chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a, of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. In verse 32, this Jesus, this is Peter continuing his, his sermon, and he says, This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. 
Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God it will call. This far, our scripture reading this morning. We're in connection with this passage, and as we continue in the catechism, we'll turn to Lord's Day 20 on page 48 in the back of your Psalter. Uh, Lord's Day 20, dealing with the Holy Spirit. Page 48 in the back section of your Psalter. Lord's Day 20, question 53 asks, What do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? And the answer is first, that He is true and co eternal God with the Father and the Son. And secondly, that He has also given me to make me, by a true faith, partaker of Christ and all His benefits, and that He may comfort me and abide with me forever. So this morning we will consider faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as we continue moving through the Apostles' Creed and our confession, I believe, in the Holy Spirit. In Korea, there's a pastor by the name of Pastor Cho who says that he has a church of about 750,000 members. His auditorium can seat 12,000 at a time, and so they must rotate. And there are also 20 satellite churches that have between five to 10,000 people attending or members at each one of them. He has over 300 prayer houses. He has daily prayer meetings where about 3,000 meet in his church. And so you might ask the question, how does this man oversee all those people and all those services? Now, undoubtedly, there's other pastors who help him leading the services. And, but many of these people want his personal contact. They want to talk to him personally. And so he says he has to spend two hours every morning on the Internet where, where he has meetings with these people. He answers their questions. He counsels them. He prays with them. He conducts home visits, you could say, online. And it's impressive to hear about all the various ministries that this church has, not only in Korea but around the world. But it's also especially impressive to hear his dependence on the Holy Spirit for this work. And he emphasizes the need for a continual prayer for God's strength and power to enable him and the other workers to do this. 
He said in years gone by he would spend five hours in prayer to prepare himself for the work of the day. And as he gets older, he's down to three, he says, all praying for the power of the Spirit. And yet we also read of another man in the Bible, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, who also himself spent nights in prayer, he who also had a massive workload as he walked in his ministry on this earth, it was, seemed it was never done. And in Matthew 14, it says how he rode across the lake to try to find a place to rest and to pray. But even when he got to the other side, there was already a crowd that had gathered there, a crowd looking for his help. And so when he saw them, he was moved with compassion, and he healed their sick. There's so much work in this world. We can see that here and around us here as well. And so if you consider the Lord Jesus Christ, he, he is the head of his whole church, not just one little church. And when Jesus was on this earth, he as a physical person, he was not able to be in every place at the same time. He could only be at one place just like we, just like us. They also had no internet at that time to broadcast his sermons, and the people needed to come to him to find him. They had to walk all the way around the lake to find him. Or they had to crowd around the door of the house where he was preaching that day. Or gathering at the side of the lake to hear him. You can think of the stories that are related to us in the Bible. How the four friends carried their paralyzed friend. And they had to go up on the roof and put a hole in the roof to let the, the, their friend down in front of just to reach Jesus. Or you can think of Thomas. How he had withdrawn himself because he was so filled with doubts and fears after the Lord Jesus had been crucified that he didn't gather with the disciples initially. And when the Lord Jesus came after he rose from the dead, Thomas missed out on that comfort and that assurance that the Lord Jesus gave his disciples. He had to wait another week before he could see the Lord, before he could have those doubts removed. And so Jesus as a person on earth could not be with every believer at once. The Bible promises that He is the Emmanuel, the God with us. That He walked in this world with His people. But even in His humanity, the Lord Jesus was limited to time and space. But when Christ ascended up into heaven, He gave gifts unto men. He gave the gift of the Holy Spirit to His church. That spirit that is now with every believer in every part of the world at the same time. The Holy Spirit could reach every church and every believer all around the world. And that is what we want to consider a little today under the theme of faith in the Holy Spirit. And we see first the promise of the Holy Spirit given by Christ. The promise of the Holy Spirit given by Christ because Jesus had promised that he would send the Holy Spirit. And that's why he said in John 16, verse 7, he said, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And so the Lord told his disciples that it was beneficial for them that the Lord Jesus himself would leave, would ascend into heaven. He said earlier in John 14, I will pray the Father... And he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, 
because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Notice how the Lord Jesus phrases that. I will come to you. I will not leave you orphans. I will send the Spirit. He is the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father is a person, the Son is a person, and the Holy Spirit is a person. And when the Lord Jesus says, I will come to you, He comes to us in the person of the, Trin of the, the Holy Spirit. And yet God is one, and God is fully one. The Spirit is God, and, and Jesus is God. And so it's a triune God and a person of the Spirit who is poured out on this world to be with His people. And so Jesus was present with His church while He was on earth. But the Holy Spirit is present in His people and in the midst of, his, of the gathering of His people. Not just one gathering here or there, but with every gathering. Not just in the large gatherings of 750,000 in Korea, but also in, in the gatherings where two or three are gathered in, their, in His name. The Holy Spirit can be in South Korea where the auditoriums are 12,000 big, or He can be in North Korea where they're not even allowed to gather, where they're not even allowed to travel from city to city without a special permit from the government, where they're oppressed and not allowed to practice their religion. Another thing is you can think of the Lord Jesus Christ who spent whole nights in prayer. And you can spend two or three or eight hours in prayer every day. But you're still limited to who you pray for and how long you pray and when you pray. And so Christ needed to leave, Romans 8 says, he having ascended is at the right hand of God who makes intercession for us. Hebrews 7 says Christ continues forever. For now he has an unchangeable priesthood and is able to save to the uttermost that is completely those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Christ in heaven now is praying continually for his people. And the question is maybe you ask, how can anybody pray for five hours? Or you might ask, how can anybody pray for five minutes? The disciples themselves had to ask the Lord Jesus, teach us to pray. Jesus needed to ascend into heaven and send his Holy Spirit because Romans 8 says the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. And so now the Holy Spirit, He prays in us and for us with those longings or those cries of the, of the heart that, that, that seek for God. Those, those desires of the heart that you can't even explain to other people, but it's the Spirit that is giving you those, those urges and those prayers to God. And this is why Jesus said it's to your advantage. It's necessary that the Lord Jesus would ascend into heaven. And so as we read in Acts 1, verse 4, Jesus promised His disciples, and He told them to wait for that promise, because you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus promised the Holy Spirit to his disciples. But then secondly, we see that the disciples, they anticipated that promise. The promise of the Holy Spirit is anticipated 
by the disciples. Men of God are men of prayer. The expression is often used that prayer is the breath of the soul, the life of the soul. And the need for the Holy Spirit is what unites His people in prayer. The need for that life from God. We all need this Holy Spirit. When Paul was saved, God said of him, Behold, he is praying. Has that been said of you? Jesus often prayed, even though he had the Spirit without measure. Pastor Cho spent hours in prayer asking for the Spirit to to equip him for his work. Elisha, we heard about on Ascension Day, he asked for a double portion of the Spirit to equip him for that work. Martin Luther said, I have so much to do that I will spend three hours in prayer first. Robert Murray McShane said, What a man is on his knees in prayer before God, that he is, and nothing more. And so we see here the disciples, as soon as the Lord Jesus went to heaven, they went back to their home to pray. Verse 12, it says, They returned to Jerusalem. When they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. Here was a Peter who had learned that he could not stand on his own two feet spiritually, and he needed the Spirit of God. Here was a Thomas who learned that he could not have that assurance without God's presence, and he needed the Spirit. Here was a Philip who had learned that he could not follow Jesus physically, but he needed to follow the Lord spiritually. Here was Mary who learned to know her son, her own child, as her Lord and Savior. These are all united in one accord, all continued in prayer and supplication for for the promise of the Holy Spirit to be sent to them. They didn't know when or how the Spirit would come. But they persisted in earnest requests and prayer for God to fulfill His promise. And they anticipated that God would fulfill it. You can think of Elijah on Mount Carmel that when he prayed for rain, every time he prayed, he he sent a servant over the hill to look, is the clouds coming yet? And every time he prayed, he looked, he anticipated God to answer him. You can imagine his disciples, every time they prayed, they were anticipating God to answer They learned to know that they could not do without the presence of God. Is that how you pray as well? Do you look for the answer to your prayer? Or is prayer just something you do because that's what you've been taught? Are you full of anticipation when you pray, believing that God will hear and answer according to His Word? And can you do with anything less then receiving what God has promised. Ten days later, these disciples were still coming together for this reason. And that brings us to our third thought, the promise of the Holy Spirit received. The promise received. Maybe you think already, well, it's not for me. They had a special promise. They they knew that they would receive the Holy Spirit because Jesus had said it to them personally. How can we know it's for us? Or maybe you think, well, I'm not worthy anyway. Why would God ever give me His Holy Spirit? 
Well, these disciples did feel their need for the Spirit. They knew that they had no power, no power to live, no power to stand, no hope without God. They had learned, like Peter did, that if God leaves them to themselves, they will fall. They began to learn a little of what the Lord Jesus said, that without me you can do nothing. We need that life-giving Spirit of Christ just to have spiritual life. Have you ever felt that way? That if God would just let you go for a second, you would just fall into sin. There's so many sins that are your heart is pulling at or that pulling at your heart. That if God would only let you go for a second, who knows how deep you would fall. And you'd then cry out to God to hold you and to keep you. And to say, Lord, I can't stand. I can do nothing without you. But then it happened. In chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then it, there appeared to them divided tongues of a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were gathered with one mind in the unity of the Spirit and unity for the Spirit. And then God came suddenly and without warning. And that's how it is all through history. You can read about the different revivals. God comes without warning suddenly at His own time. And the other Jews here that were gathered in the city, because there were many that had come to the city for this feast, and, and, and they, they were astonished when they saw and they heard these disciples they began speaking in different languages. They began preaching in the, in the various languages of the people that had come. But some also began to mock them. That's when Peter gave that, that sermon here in Acts 2. And through that preaching, the people became convicted of their sin. Now they understood. Now they believed that they had sinned against God. Now they understood that Jesus was the promised Messiah. And that they had all participated in crucifying him. And none of them had been there to defend the Lord. But all of them had condemned him in their hearts. Even if they weren't there crying out, crucify him. And so it says they were cut to the heart. And then they cried out, men and brethren, what, what must we do? What must we do to be saved? And here we can already see the work of God's Holy Spirit. Because John 16 says that when His Spirit has come, He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in Me. Of righteousness because I go to My Father and shall see Me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. These Jews had been convicted of their sin and guilt. They began to see that they stood there guilty before the judge of heaven and earth and deserved his punishment. That's what happens with the preaching of the gospel. That's the outward call of the gospel. It comes to our ears, but the Spirit brings it to our hearts. And that's when it convicts us of our sin. That's when it draws us to Christ. And that's when it shows us that we need a Savior in whatever measure, measure and way that He uses God shows us in one way or other that we have sinned against Him. 
that we ourselves are guilty of crucifying the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? Because every one of our sins needs to be paid for on that cross. And so it's our sins that have caused the, uh, the Lord Jesus to be crucified. We have broken His law, and it's Christ who had to pay for the penalty of all His people. Has that already been caused you to ask, what must I do to be saved? Do you need and do you see the need for Christ to forgive you your sins, to wash them away? Do you need the Holy Spirit to apply that work of Christ to your heart? We don't like to hear about sin. It's never pleasant. And neither do we ever like to hear when a doctor comes out and back into the room with that diagnosis. And he tells us what's wrong with us. But it's necessary. Because without that diagnosis, there'll be no further treatment. We need the Spirit to show us our condition so that it can show us the remedy. Do we realize our weakness and our deadness without, without Christ? And how much do we pray for that? The prayer is a sign of life. Behold, he is praying. He knew that he needed Christ. <clears throat> the disciples here were already believers. But now they received a promise and were filled with the Holy Spirit in a, in a new and a special way as we entered a New Testament time. But it did not stop them from praying for the Holy Spirit after that. You can read in other places like Acts 4 how they prayed for more boldness to speak because they were being persecuted by the authorities and then the place was shaken and they were again filled with the Holy Spirit to equip them and empower them to their work. And for believers, that promise of the Spirit to equip them is always there in Luke 11. That even you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? We need the Spirit continually. And the disciples received it here in a special way. And it's every believer in the New Testament receives the Holy Spirit when they are saved. But then we see in the last thought, fourthly, the promise of the Holy Spirit relayed. The people cried out, what must we do? What must we do to be saved? And Peter says in verse 38, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of, of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Repent and believe is the call of the gospel. Turn to the Lord and flee from destruction. Peter said in verse 21, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And he says, let every one of you be baptized. Baptized to receive that sign and seal of the certainty of God's covenant promises also given to you. It's not the baptism that saves. 
But this water points us to Christ who washes away our sins because His blood was shed on the cross to pay for that sin. And that's why 1 John 1 verse 7 says, The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Christ shed His blood on the cross to pay for sin. And He says, Whoever now calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And through the work of the Spirit, your sins will be washed away, forgiven, just like water washes our body. And he says, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Here it was like it came, it was evident at at two different times, but the Spirit comes at the moment of salvation to give that spiritual life. And here the people saw the signs that came with the outpouring of the Spirit on the apostles, and they, they saw the power of God working through them as they, as they spoke and preached in different tongues. They had known of the work of the Spirit in the Old Testament as, as the Spirit came upon Elijah or Elisha. All these, this was recorded in their, in their Bible. And now that same Spirit was promised to them. Not necessarily with all these extra gifts, but the main work of the Holy Spirit that John 16 says is to take of the things of Christ and to reveal them to us. The Holy Spirit takes the work, the saving work of Christ, and applies it to your soul. That is the remission of sins and eternal life. That's what the Catechism said there in question 20, that He is also given to me to make me by a true faith a partaker of Christ and all His benefits. It's the Holy Spirit that takes the things of Christ. It's the Holy Spirit who who brings them to your heart to give you saving faith and the forgiveness of sins. And so here again we see the importance of, of prayer, of calling upon the name of the Lord, because it says, call upon the Lord and you shall be saved. We cannot just take the Holy Spirit in our own strength. We cannot just grab the salvation of Christ ourselves and say, now we're saved. We cannot just make that decision or sign a paper. But God pours out His Holy Spirit on whom, whoever He pleases. He gives His Holy Spirit to make me a true, by true faith a partaker of Christ and all His benefits. And here the disciples, they waited in earnest prayer and supplication until the Spirit was given to them, poured out from heaven. And here Peter calls the people now to repent and to believe in anticipation of that same promise poured out to them. He says, that's what's promised to you in baptism. That's what's promised to you and to your children. And that's why our children here also need to be baptized. And children, think about this. That God comes so close to you with His promises. That you, having the baptism on your forehead... That water put on your forehead is a God's sign and seal that when you seek the Lord, when you call upon the name of the Lord, He will also give His Holy Spirit to save you. Do you believe that there's forgiveness also for you, children? That the Lord promises that to you as well? And do you pray for that? Knowing that the Lord has brought that promise so close to you, to draw you to Him, to, that you would call upon His name even from a young age, to know that He is faithful. Now you can anticipate it like the apostles 
anticipated outpouring of the Spirit. And further, the Holy Spirit is not only promised to the Jews and their children as the first recipients of this promise. But God said in Genesis 17, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God to you and to your descendants after you. Now, that's not just an allegorical referring to the spiritual seed of Abraham, but all the children of believers are born as members of the church and of the covenant, and therefore must be baptized to, to receive that sign and seal of that promise, because that same promise applies to them. That same call to repent and believe applies to them for the remission of sins. And here Peter is showing that all the children of the Jews are still contained in that same covenant. That same promise is still in effect from the Old Testament, now moved to the New Testament. But now that same promise is extended. It's broadened in its scope to include the Gentiles, those who once were afar off, he says. Initially, the Jewish nation was the people of God, the family of God, the covenant people of God. And the Gentiles were considered strangers, aliens, banished from God and His kingdom, unless they individually joined the people of Israel. But Ephesians 2 says, Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called a circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, Strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Christ, when he died on the cross, he tore that that wall of separation that existed between Jew and Gentile, and he reconciled both to God. And that's why Paul can say in 2 Corinthians 5.19 that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. And now then, Paul says, we as ambassadors for Christ, as though God was pleading through us, we implore you in Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. The way to God has been opened in Jesus Christ for Jew and Gentile. That promise has been extended to all the world. And now that same promise goes out to as many as the Lord our God will call through the proclamation of the gospel. The Gentiles once lived in ignorance, serving idols and not knowing the true God or the way of salvation. But now Acts 17 says, Now God commands all men everywhere to repent both Jews and Gentiles, called to believe in Jesus Christ, to receive that promise of the Holy Spirit, a forgiveness of sins, an eternal life. This is the way that the salvation of God has been opened up to all people in the world. And that same promise comes to you and me this morning. The same Holy Spirit works today. And when that Holy Spirit works in our heart, Yes, He shows us our sins. We see those sins that live in our hearts every day. And we begin to see how much we really live without God. 
But then you also begin to search for God. You begin to long to know God. Because before your sins did not really bother you. But it's really that, that burden, that troubling, that hatred for sin now that drives you away from them and towards God. You know they displease God. You know they're against His Word and against Him. You begin to feel like you can't live without God anymore. And like His apostles there, they, they, they needed Him. And then there's that cry in your heart, maybe, maybe unexplainable to yourself. You don't know how to explain it to other people. The desire to know Him, you begin to pray. Maybe you don't even know what kind of words you need to pray at first. You begin to ask for His Holy Spirit. You begin to ask for His mercy. Because you know you don't deserve it. You ask, what must I do to be saved? And when you hear that gospel preached, you see a glimmer of hope and a you feel that, that warming draw in your heart. You say, this is, this is something that I need. This is something my heart needs. And when the Lord Jesus says, come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, you, you, you say that to me. Come unto me and I will give you rest for your soul, he says. Begin to see in the Lord Jesus everything that your heart needs. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit directs you to Jesus Christ. He shows you who Christ is. He gives you that prayer in your heart for Christ and His work to know Him. He takes that work of Christ, the saving work, and He brings it to your heart to wash away your sins, to make, a partaker, to make you a partaker of Christ and all His benefits, that eternal life, <clears throat> and that forgiveness of sins. The Holy Spirit doesn't draw attention to Himself, but He always draws you to Christ to see who He is, and to make you see your need for Him, and to find all your answers in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is poured out to apply the work that Christ has finished on the cross to the hearts of His people. Do you need Him? The same promise is here for you and your children. Amen.